We have two readings this morning. The first, you may not be surprised to know, is from the book of Jonah. This starts in the third chapter, the first five verses, and then verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and God did not do it. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 20. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he and James, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their nets and their father in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So both of these stories were in our lectionary, and I wanted to use them both this morning because they show us two different ways to answer God's call. Now, we didn't read the whole story of Jonah, but as we'll see, and as we saw in the children's sermon, when God calls Jonah his answer is to run away. But when Jesus calls the disciples, they drop everything to follow him. Jonah's story is about more than a big fish. It illustrates how God uses imperfect, even reluctant messengers. In the opening verse, the very first verse, God sends Jonah to Nineveh to tell them to repent of their wickedness. And what does Jonah do? He tucks tail and runs in the opposite direction. He hops a ship bound for Tarshish, which is as far away from Nineveh as he can get. God sends a fierce storm that threatens everyone on board. And after the sailors throw their cargo into the sea and pray to their gods to save them, Jonah confesses that he is the one that God is mad at. The sailors pray to Jonah's God for mercy, and then reluctantly they toss him overboard where Jonah is swallowed by the great fish, which is what most of us know about the story of Jonah. He prays for deliverance from within the fish, and after three days, God has the fish spit him up on the beach. And God gives Jonah a do-over. In the passage that we read, God tells him again to go to Nineveh, and this time Jonah obeys. 
he walks to that great city crying, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what happens? The Ninevites repent. Everyone from the king to the children to their animals put on sackcloth, sit in ashes, and fast. And when they repent, God relents and spares them. God sees them turn away from their evil ways and does not destroy the city. Now you might think that Jonah would be pleased that his prophecy was so effective and that things turned out so well, but no, he is mad at God for making him look like a liar. He says to God, I knew that's what you'd do. That's why I ran away the first time you called me. You made me look like a fool, just kill me now. He actually says that, not those words, but let me die. He's so sure that he's right about the Ninevites and that God is wrong, he decides to hang around and see what happens when the Ninevites return to their wicked ways as he is sure that they will. He builds a shelter, God grows a bush to shade him, and Jonah loves that bush. He's crazy about that bush. Overnight, God sends a worm to, affect, to, to uh, infect the bush, and it dies. And when Jonah wakes up, he says, oh, come on, God, just let me die already. And God says, seriously? You were more upset about a bush than about 120,000 people in Nineveh and their animals. The footnote in my Bible says, God still can't get over all those animals running around in sackcloth. And that's where the book ends with that question hanging in the air. Now, most scholars think Jonah is not a historical record. This didn't actually happen, but it's it's part of the literature in the Bible. And it's a satire of the prophetic story. The other prophets in the Bible plead earnestly with the kings of Israel to no avail. But Jonah succeeds wildly with the Ninevites and somehow he's upset about it all. He's one of those people who just can't be happy, no matter what. He would rather be right, even it means the death of an entire city. I find it interesting that this story is paired with the call of the disciples in Mark. First, we had the fish-slash-fishing motif, but even more, they illustrate two different responses to God's call. Jonah, as we saw, is reluctant from the word go, and then he pouts when things don't go his way even when he knew it was likely that God would be merciful. The disciples, on the other hand, drop everything to follow Jesus, although they have no idea where it's going to lead them. The gospel lesson from Mark takes us to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, chapter 1. He's been baptized, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, and now he returns to Galilee, his home area, to begin his ministry. And the first thing he does is put together a team. In this passage, he calls two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. But notice he doesn't find them in the synagogue. These men aren't rabbinic students. They don't spend their days in in the synagogue studying Torah, learning the prophecies about the Messiah and wondering when he might appear. These are fishermen. Jesus goes down to the lake shore and he calls a bunch of fishermen. Ordinary folks with no special training to equip them for ministry. And yet Jesus calls them to do that work. Now we have no evidence that these men are dissatisfied with their life of fishing, fed up with having to rely on the luck of the catch. They don't appear to be in a midlife crisis, itching to get away from their home in Capernaum. They're decent, hardworking men just going about their lives. 
going out every day and casting their nets to see what they'll draw in. These are men with families, a business, boats, workers, and one day this man shows up and calls to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they leave their nets, their boats. James and John leave their father, Zebedee. They ask no questions. They don't ask, will this take us away from home? And if so, for how long? Is this a paying gig? If so, how much? And what exactly do you mean, fish for people? No, they don't ask for any specifics. They don't show any hesitation. They just drop everything and follow Jesus. The Episcopal priest and outstanding preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, sees this as a miracle story. The disciples respond because God changes their hearts. Notice the language. With both pairs of brothers, it says, immediately they dropped their nets. Immediately they left their boats and they followed Jesus. In that instant, the instant that he calls them, they are changed. Just as everything and everyone that Jesus touches is changed. Water changes to wine. Loaves and fishes multiply to feed thousands. The sick are healed. The blind can see. The lame take up their mats and walk. Jesus' call is God's call, and God enables these fishermen to respond. Just as God dogged Jonah throughout his mission, pursuing him when he fled and keeping after him when he turned surly, God is already at work in these fishermen's lives, bringing them into Jesus' circle and equipping them to work with him, enabling them to answer his call. These men's call is not just about their individual lives because Jesus is building a community. And again, Jonah offers us a sharp contrast. He endangers the entire crew of a ship He pouts when God spares a city of 120,000 people plus all their animals. Jonah would rather be right than compassionate. He seems to have little concern for those around him. But Jesus is building a community where all are welcome. There is no litmus test, no qualifying exam, no dues to pay. Just bring who you are and what you have, and there's room for you and work for you in Jesus' community. Follow him, join him, and you will gain everything. This past Monday, we honored the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose work was rooted in community. The holiday honors one man who was the charismatic leader of a movement, but he did not work alone. He shared the leadership of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or the SCLC, with others such as Ella Baker, Bayard Rustin, the Reverends Fred Shuttlesworth, Joseph Lowry, Ralph Abernathy, C.K. Steele, and so many others. That team worked closely with King. The SCLC operated out of black churches in the South. The leadership of those churches carried the movement into their communities. Teachers, businessmen, factory workers, farmers, bus drivers, ordinary people inspired by King's vision, led by his team, took up the work of building the beloved community that King envisioned. That movement drew black people and white people of different faiths and of none who came together around the ideal of racial justice and a community where all people are fully included. 
And I don't need to tell you that that work is needed more today than ever. And God calls us to be part of it. Jesus is still recruiting disciples, ordinary folks who can help him fish for people, drawing them into community where all are welcome and where grace abounds. God's grace is already at work in our lives, equipping us to carry that message to the world. As we sang in our opening hymn, Jesus calls us. How will we answer God's call? Amen.